Amen. Thanks, Michelle. Michelle, uh, one of her favorite things to do on staff is to give announcements. Uh, she just loves doing that. And so uh, we're super thankful for you, Michelle, and uh, all the ways that you bless us. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, this morning I was thinking about uh, all the people who serve at uh, Riverview in all different capacities. Uh, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, it takes a lot of people serving in different capacities uh, to, to, to gather on a Sunday morning. And so thankful for that. But there's a lot that happens outside of Sunday morning as well, just throughout the week. And so I, I just want to say thank you for everybody who is a part of what's going on at Riverview. Uh, but I would also uh, encourage you, if you don't serve uh, in any capacity, uh, we always need people to serve. But this is not a plea for that, although you can sign up to serve in areas. Um, I'm thinking about you individually if you are looking for a way to get connected at Riverview. Uh, one of the best ways to connect to somebody and to have significant, meaningful interactions is serving alongside of people. Uh, and so if you haven't yet found a place to serve and to say, yes, this is, this is kind of my zone, these are people that I, I want to be a part of, um, let me encourage you to, to find a place to serve. And if you're looking and you haven't figured that, talk to one of our staff members. We'd love to get you plugged in to the perfect place for you so that you can get connected, okay? Um, so if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Uh, we are in our Rooted series, uh, and we've been trucking along here for a little while, and the whole point of the series is that we would grab onto some si significant truths about who God is and who we are as a result and how we might be able to grow up as followers in Jesus so that we might have roots to go down deep and so that we can grow and have fruit on the trees, right? Um, but with the desire to know God more, and to know who we are and to grow roots, there are inherently some difficult questions that pop up. There are some things that we would rather not talk about that pop up that actually, if we grapple with them, um, they help us grow. The things that you grapple with help you grow sometimes more than life just being easy and just taking the easy road. And so uh, through our series, we have bumped into some pretty difficult questions. Um, and the whole idea, again, is that we would grow. Now, the worst thing that we could do is that we could come to Christ and just spin our wheels, uh, uh, just not engaging with our relationship with the Lord or not engaging with the purpose of, of his church. And we don't want to be um, people who are just spinning our wheels. Uh, Jay was up here last week, and he did a fantastic job encouraging us not to bury the talent of the gospel that God has given to each one of us in, in Christ, okay? And he encouraged us to live our lives on, on mission. But so often what happens is we get trapped by the little things in, in our lives, uh, the influences, the schedules, the distractions, sports, for heaven's sakes. We take our eye off of Jesus to keep our eye on the ball instead of taking our eyes off of the ball and putting our eyes on, on Jesus. And we end up, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we start drifting towards these little distractions, things that can't hold up to the weight of the worthiness of giving it to God. And now the thing is, we don't want to waste our lives. There's nobody in here who would say, sign me up for that. I want to come to Christ and just, and just waste the rest of, of my life. We want to grow up. We want to give our life to Christ. We, we want to live our lives in Christ in the communities and the environments that God places us in. But if we're being honest, and I'm just going to throw this out there, there are some stigmas in the church that we've got to talk about. There are some stigmas that can actually stunt our growth and keep us from growing. And so because we're in a series where we're asking hard questions, let's talk about those things. Let's talk about the things that are difficult. 
Now, a, a stigma is something that we inherently think negatively about. And I'm sure if you've been around the church long enough, you could think like, these are the stigmas. These are, these are the things, like these are the no-nos. You don't touch that. You don't talk about that. You don't do any, any, anything with, with that. And to be frank, I, I think stigmas are hard to talk about because there are emotions and there are feelings that are wrapped up real tight around those babies. And once you start talking about them or once you start nudging on things, there are some, there, there are, are uh, we get bent out of shape pretty easily about them. And I guess that at some point this morning, there's going to be some things that get stirred up inside of you um, because we're talking about things that we don't normally talk about. And my hope is that the things that get stirred up in you, and my prayer is that the things that get stirred up in you is a greater compassion. I hope that what gets stirred up in us this morning is hope and maybe a place where healing can begin to take place. There's a stigma in the church that we don't typically talk about, that we usually stay away from. Like we don't touch it with like a 10 foot pole. And we say things like, well, we, we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, that's, too, that's too messy. We, we don't go there. It, it's too much for us. But I think that thing that we stay away from is actually, if we get some understanding around it, it could actually help us grow deeper roots and some fruit on our trees. And there's a stigma around mental health. It's mental health. Um, and mental health involves all kinds of things, but nothing short of our emotions, our thinking, and behaviors that come out of those emotions and, and thinking. And as soon as we start talking about emotions and feelings, we start to get the wiggles, don't we? They're sitting out there like, oh gosh, like we're going there. We're talking about that and things start stirring up inside of you. And you're like, why did I even come this morning? I, I didn't know we were going to be talking about feelings. And no, we're gonna, I'm a guy, we don't, we're not supposed to be doing that kind of thing, right? And... and we, we start saying things like, oh, emotions, we don't go there. Feelings, we definitely don't go there. Talking about why we do what we do or why we don't do the things that we don't do, like we certainly don't go there because this stuff is squishy. It's hard to hang on to. It's like trying to nail jello to the wall. It's just very difficult. And we don't feel like we understand it. And because we don't understand it or because we don't feel like we understand it, we just stay away from it. We, we push it away. Now, here's the truth. Like, I am no expert on mental health. Surprise, surprise. I am no expert on, on the brain and how the brain works. I'm still trying to figure out how my own works, okay? And the emotions and the things that I feel, I still, have, I still struggle with those things. But, and so I'm not an, but the thing is, I, I do know Jesus. I do know him. Um, and I do know that when we open up the scriptures, God gives us insight to the difficult things that we walk through in, in our life. So where I'm not confident in myself to enter into these waters, I'm certainly confident in Jesus and in his word, okay? So that's where we're going uh, this morning. So let me uh, give you a couple stats, though, to get us kind of rolling. Um, right now, suicide is the second leading cause of, the de of death of people from the ages of 10 to 14. Look at, the, look at that age. Ages 10 to 14, this is the leading cause or the second leading cause of, of death. 10 to 14 year olds are taking their lives. Why, why is that happening? Well, there's all kinds of reasons um, that could be uh, a cause, but there's certainly some that rise to the top. There's a lack of hope, I think, that's rising in, in, in our culture, especially within the United States. 
because of that depression is, is on the rise. There's a sense within our young people that, that, that life is only gonna be the way that it is. There's never gonna be a change in what they're going in. So that thing that, they're, that they heard or that thing that was said about them, that thing that went viral, like that is, that is their, that's their scenario and it's never gonna get any better. And when your age is 10 to 14, there's no perspective, right? Like you only see things from one perspective. It's difficult to see it from, and so it's hard for you to see that that's ever gonna change. And because there's a sense of like, that's never gonna change, the lack of hope rises. And so the best alternative somebody can think of, well, let's just end it so we don't have to keep going down that road. And so our kids are growing up in, in this mindset. The data shows that actually teenage girls are really struggling, that there's a crisis with our, with, our, with our young girls. There's confusion on what's right and wrong. Is a boy a boy? Is a girl a girl? Can a boy become a boy or can a boy become a girl and vice versa? All these things that are going on in the news, can you switch back and forth? But on top of all the confusion, there's significant health issues, mental health issues that, that we're starting to understand and we're trying to, to understand. And the world's beginning to talk about it. The world's coming up with ideas and they're presenting theories and they're trying to figure out, hey, come to me and I'll help you, I'll help you sort it out. But we as the church, we're afraid to talk about these things. Like we're, we're pushing them off because maybe we don't understand it. Maybe we don't know how to help or, or we, we feel like we wanna help, but we just don't know how to enter into it or we just don't have the capacity. To, to add these messy things into our neatly ordered lives. We got our perfect life, we got the things that we want, and, and, and so we're perfectly fine staying where it's comfortable and not entering into the messy stuff. It's a difficult place to be. There's, a, there's another stat here that I wanna show you that this isn't just an issue with our teenagers, it's actually happening with adults too. Suicide is the third leading cause of death of adults from 25 to, to 44. 25 to 44 years old. When we're supposed to be in the prime of our life, men like 35 years old, I think that's supposed to be the prime of our lives. Like, man, like you can get jacked to the point you got all the testosterone, your brain's finally clicking in. Like, it, like ladies hit the prime of their life a little bit earlier. It takes a little while for us to catch up. But like those ages from 25 to 44, we are in the prime. And instead of living in the prime of our lives, there's a large portion of our society that is deciding to end their life before they ever really get started. It's a terrible thing. We're losing people at an alarming rate. One person every 11 minutes is taking their life in the United States. Let that sink in. One person every 11 minutes. So from about the time that I've been talking right now, somebody in the United States has taken their life. It's a bleak picture. The mood in the room is incredibly heavy, is it not? This is heavy stuff to, to walk around with. Uh, but I don't think we need to be disheartened because I think the Lord gives us some uh, insight into this. But one thing that should be happening when we hear stats like this and we look around and we feel the weight of this, one thing that should be happening is we as a church, we should be starting to ask the question, what can we do to step in and bridge that gap? What can we do as a church to help this, what do we do about this? And I don't think that we can, I don't think that we should try to be overly simplistic about what we're supposed to do, but I do think that God gives us a beautiful picture of what can be and what should be when we look at the big C church. I do think that there are things as you and me who are sitting here right now, if we would just simply live out the gospel, 
If we would live as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we would begin to live that out and walk into the hard stuff with one another, if we would truly bear one another's burdens rather than as an individual walk this road alone, let somebody else walk with us. And as an individual who sees somebody struggle, that we would be willing to set some of our comfort aside and begin to walk with them into that journey. I do think if we became true brothers and sisters in Christ and lived out Big C Church, we would start to chip away at this. I do believe that. Here's the deal though. God gives us this beautiful and almost utopian view of what the church is supposed to look like in 1 Corinthians 12. And if you've been around the church for a while, this is nothing new to you. You've heard about the body of Christ. God uses the image of a body uh, of, of believers to, to make up his church. And he says, we are the church. We, we are created to be the body of Christ. That when we come to Christ, he puts a spirit inside of us. And when he puts a spirit inside of us, we are, we are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet, the eyes and the nose, the toes and the fingers. Everyone has a different role to play. Everybody has got gifts to use inside of the body. Some might be an eye, some might be a toe, some might be an ear, some might be an arm. But yet we are to work together in order to be the beautiful picture of the body that God has given us to do the things that he has called us to do. Now, it doesn't always go perfectly. Sometimes the eye fights with the nose. Sometimes the ear fights with the ankle. And you have this back and forth that goes in the church and we don't represent the church that God has called us to be very well, but he wants us to live out this body of Christ. But this image begins to break down when members of the body who who might have a special need or who might have a mental health condition start to isolate themselves away from the body. Um, or in many cases, they start to get moved to the side and isolated by the church because of the negative stigma that's around whatever that need might be. And it doesn't happen intentionally. I don't think this happens in the church on purpose, but slowly because people begin to pull away or choose not to see the need you begin to see isolated people all over the church, people who are hurting, people who are afraid to engage or people who are afraid um, to be engaged. And then you just have the body that is not working together, but it's isolated and not what God has called us to be. Let me show you this chart that Paul Hackenkamp put together for us uh, a couple weeks ago. 21% um, of U.S. adults experienced a mental health condition in 2020, and that carries into 2023 as well. So roughly a quarter of our population is dealing with some type of, of mental illness. So uh, the, the larger number there is any mental illness. The smaller number there is a significant mental illness. So a quarter of our population is, is struggling. So play, so play this out. Cass County population is 27,000 people. That means that roughly 5,600 people are impacted by some type of mental illness. Saunders County population is 23,000 people. That means that around 4,800 people are impacted with a, a special need or a mental illness. Ashland population gets a little smaller, 3,200 people. That means that around 672 people are impacted by a mental illness. And now take that down to RCC. Let's say that there are around 400 people who call this place their home church. That means that 84 people in our body are struggling. That's a quarter of our people that just are dealing with a mental illness. And, and that's just any mental illness. When you start to add in the significant mental illness, the number changes. It goes up from there. And so because of this, because of a quarter of our population is struggling, we can't not talk about this, right? 
It can't be something that is a stigma that, that gets avoided and pushed away. It's got to be something that we are willing to enter into to walk with our brothers and sisters instead of leaving them isolated and hurting. Mental health cuts deep. Uh, the great pastor, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. He said, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more. But the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. Anybody feel that? And like, you, you, can, you can cut me. I can bleed out and I, I can die and it can be over. But inside the mind, we can play the tapes over and over and we feel it over and over again. The mind can descend far lower than the body. Isn't that true? Like how, how many of you can think back to things that hurt you more mentally than, than physically? Now, I, I remember when I, was, when I was eight years old, <laughs> my grandfather said that I was fat. He, he called me fat. And I'm 42, 42 years old standing in front of you. And I still remember the day that he told me, we're sitting on the couch right in, right in front of, of the coffee table. I was leaning over. He said, wow, you're fat. And now every time I look in the mirror, I see the eight-year-old chubby Anthony. The things that people say go deep into our minds. They, they hurt. It hurts and because you can't get away from words. And it's even more so today than it was way back in the day, 42 years ago or 30-something years ago. It used to be that somebody could say something and you could go home and from school or you could go home from work and you could forget about it because tomorrow was a brand new day. Like, like you, you get just like, you know what, I just, it's over, I, I can get. But now, unfortunately, if you're on social media or if, you're, if you've got a phone, you can be in a text group. And, and that thing that somebody said to you or that thing that somebody did to you, it hurts and it doesn't stop hurting because you see it go viral or you see it being talked about in your, in your friend group or your text groups. And, or maybe you got cut out of the group and then it's going around and you hear about it. You just can't get away from what people say anymore. And so that conversation, it just keeps dragging you down. And although you want to forget it, you just can't. And so hurt and angst and fear and depression, all of those things are setting in. Ask your kids. Like they've got this stuff. They feel this and you feel it as well. And then all the host of other things that come along with, with angst and fear and depression, they're sitting there right in your lap. And so we've started to talk about this as a society. We've scratched it as, as a church. But what does scripture actually say about this? Does it say anything about this? I think it does. Like you see the book of Job and Job is like a case study on just watching him walk through incredible trauma in his life and then having friends who try to comfort him alongside of him. And sometimes they do well and sometimes they just make it worse. And so you watch Job and you're like, okay, this is a pattern for what this, what this looks like. And then you look in the book of Daniel and you, you see King Nebuchadnezzar who is battling with this, with this mind issue that he's afflicted with. And you see him try to live this out and he's acting like an animal out in the middle of the field. And so you watch him walk this out and then you read the Psalms. And, and I actually think one of the psalmists in Psalm 42 was dealing with some of this stuff and he was trying to explain to us what he was feeling. And he was writing down what he was feeling. It's actually one of the most popular psalms. Um, and if you've been around the church for a while, you've likely read it. Or if you are a person who reads the psalms, you've bumped into this. And I think it's so popular because so many people, when they read it, they're able to um, resonate with, with what the psalmist was saying. 
because we felt some of the same things. We've felt discouragement. We've felt the pain. We've battled maybe with depression. We've felt left alone and isolated. And, and so we also, like the psalmist, we ask, why? Why? When? How? What are you doing? Like, we ask some of the same questions. And I think sometimes what the Psalms do and what they're so good for is they take things that we're feeling and they put it in the words so that we can understand it and so that we can begin to pray those things. When we're just bumbling through things and trying to get the words out of our mouth, we read a Psalm and we're like, yes, what he said, that's, that's what I feel. I remember last year we were walking through some pretty difficult things in, in our house um, uh, as a pastor. There were some painful things that we were going through as a family. There were some things that we were going through. And, and I remember just trying to find the right words to pray. And I, I, was, I, was, I was struggling just to even open up the scriptures. To, like, to man, like God, I'm, I'm so mad. I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. How do I get that out and just pray those things? And so I open up the scriptures and I'm, and I'm reading through the Psalms. And, and I start reading some of these things. I'm like, yes. That's what I want to say. That's what I want to, what I want to pray. That's, that's what I feel. And so the psalmist took my feelings and put them in the words, and I resonated with, with those. And, and so the psalms are able to give us words because they walk through these things too. And so listen to Psalm 42 and see if any of this hits a note for you. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart's breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks. I'm in the sound of great celebration. What the psalmist is saying here is I've, I've been joyful. There have been moments in my life where I've been joyful. I've had moments of worship. In fact, I actually led worship. I led people to come and worship you. And then he goes to verse five. So why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. And he says now, so that means in his context, right now in this moment when he's writing, I am deeply discouraged. I just put my hope in God, but at the same time, I'm deeply discouraged. But I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, I, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and, and surging tides sweep over me. But each day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry. And now he changes tune again. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief? Oppressed by my enemies, their taunts break my bones, they scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. I love how honest this guy is. Like, I don't know how many of us in this room are willing to be as honest as he is with the things that we're feeling and the things that we're going through, but he, this guy puts it on paper so that we can read it thousands of years later. He says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my soul downcast? Why do I feel like I do? I'm discouraged. Why am I discouraged? And, and the heart of that, of what he's saying is just simply, I don't know. I don't know. Why do I feel like this? I have moments of joy, but at the same time, I'm struggling and I don't understand why. I'm worshiping God. I'm going to church. 
I'm praying at night. I'm actually singing songs before I go to bed, but I am still struggling. I love that he doesn't let himself stay in the wallowing for too long though, because every few lines, he runs back to where true hope is. He turns back to God. I will put my trust in him. I will praise him. And so he says, why am I discouraged in verse five? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. But then he goes right back to the, what he's feeling, like, like what this actual scenario is. He says, now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Do you see what he's doing? He said, I'm broken, guys. I, I'm hurting, but I am not giving up on God. God still gets my praise in the midst of us. And, and, and when we are able and willing to enter into this as an individual, a brother or a sister in Christ, and as we enter into this as a church, this is what we get to do. For those who can't get back to this place of hope like the psalmist does here, we get to walk alongside of people as an individual. We get to walk alongside of people as a church and lead them back and help them, guide them back to where hope is. We get to sit in their pain. We get to walk with people so that they don't feel alone. And we get to, hey, let me tell you about God in the midst of this. Let me help you find hope where true hope is. We have the answer and it's not in what the world is offering. It is in God and in God alone. So let's talk real quickly about how God has wired our bodies. <laughs> Sound fun? Okay, let's keep trucking here. The Bible tells us that as humans, that God created us. And as he created us, he created us very intricately. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. We um, get this most succinctly in First Thessalonians chapter 5. We gather it from all the rest of scriptures, but we have it all in one chunk here in uh, what Paul gives us. So look what he has to say. It says, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And so we read in the text that we are created by a very creative God who makes us very complex. So we have a body, which is the physical thing that we see, right? That's the most apparent thing. We have a soul, which contains our personality, our mind, our emotions, our will, all, all the wiggly things, you know, the things that, uh, uh, that, that aren't easy to talk about for us. And we have a spirit. And the spirit is the part of us that determines our identity. And so if you're in Christ, if you've trusted Jesus, he has rewired you, he has changed your spirit, he's put a new spirit inside of you, he has changed your identity completely and you belong to him. And when he does that, you know what that does? That brings you into his body. You are part of the body of Christ. You are part of the church. You might be an eye, you might be an ear, you might be a toe, you might be a nose, but you are in the body of Christ. And we are very complex both men and women are complex. Fellas, it's not just your wives or the ladies around you who are complex. They have emotions, but you have emotions too, all right? And you might be like, well, I, I don't have emotions. I don't feel, that's an emotion, okay? That's coming out of you. We have them. We are complex, all of us. And so the Bible tells us that. And, and so it makes sense then that the sin that happened in the garden, it didn't just affect a piece of us. It actually affected all of us. It didn't affect just our bodies. It's not just our bodies that are breaking down. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are in this tent and this thing is breaking down, but we have hope that this body is going to be restored one day. It's going to be made new in eternity. But it's not just our body that is decaying and falling apart. It is every part of us that gets affected spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. There is nothing that gets left out. Now, sometimes we might see or we might feel what we feel is a direct reflection 
of our actions. Because we sin, we bump into things. We might say things like, well, I feel like garbage. I feel like garbage because I've, I've really just kind of been a jerk to everybody. And, and I'm starting to see the repercussions of how I've lived amongst people in my own life. People don't want to be around me. My kids don't want to be around me. They're not talking to me. The dog keeps peeing in my shoes. I can't even make him happy. The, the barista intentionally at the coffee shop, like she keeps writing the wrong name on the cup and I think she's doing it on purpose. My name's not Ralph. It's never been Ralph. But yet I feel like everybody is out to get me. And I think it might be linked to the way that I've been living. Our actions do impact our emotions. And sometimes our emotions impact our actions. We bump into things because of what we do. But there are certainly times that the way that we feel has nothing to do with our sin. Has nothing to do with anything that we've done. The psalmist says, why do I feel like this? Why does my life look the way that it looks right now? Some psalm writers cry, they, they, they cry out, they say, how long, oh God? How long? I'm in this position. I, I don't feel like it's justified that I'm in this position. So how long are you going to leave me in this place? Like, get me out of this. Sometimes we just may not know why we feel the way that we feel. Or we may not know why the world feels like it's crumbling around us. And it doesn't matter what somebody says to you. They can try to give you all the trite answers. They can try to bring scriptures up to you. They can try to do all these things, but it doesn't matter. What somebody says to you, it doesn't really change things. It doesn't make it better. And it's okay in those moments to take that to God and say, God, I am hurting right now. And I don't know why I'm struggling right now. Everything is breaking. And I don't like, I don't feel like it's justified. So what is going on? And then the pray, take it away, God, like, just take it away. Take this away from, from me. But he may not reason that he may not take it away because there's perspective that we gain as we get older and there might be something that he wants us to learn in the middle of it and we don't want it and we don't like it but he leaves it there and, and here's what uh, author Aaliyah Joy has said and I don't know much about her life but I came across this and I said this is right on point she said sorrow is sacred suffering is not an indictment against God it can be the single space that we identify most deeply with Christ who knows it best. She gives a different perspective on what our suffering and what we're going through is. There's, there's a teaching out there that suggests that you're closest to God when everything is good in your life, when everything is perfect. When you have money, when you're physically healthy, when business is going good, when friendships are going well, when there's no struggles in your life, when everything is just right, then maybe you and God are good. You're, it's, it's all good in your life because, be, be, because you're, you're, you're living right. And so God and you are, are tight. But I don't think we see that anywhere in, in the gospels. I don't think we see it anywhere in scriptures. This is, a, this is a health and wealth gospel and I don't think it's anywhere there. Are we blessed by God when we're obedient to him? Absolutely we are. But does it always look like health and wealth? No, it doesn't look like that. I think in scripture, we actually have the opposite that's told to us. It says, well, you're gonna face trouble. You're gonna suffer. There's gonna be things that you walk through. You're gonna have a cross that you gotta pick up and bear. Sin is going to impact your life. It's going to do things to you that, that you don't necessarily like. And so if we start using our feelings or our emotions or the fact that our, our bank account is high or low or our health as a measure of how spiritual we are or how connected to God we are, at the end of the day, we are certainly gonna be disappointed because that is not the measure of how close we are to God. Jesus actually says in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Blessed are the ones who are walking through the hard things. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to what Jesus did for us. Jesus stepped out of heaven, which is huge. He steps out of heaven. He enters into our pain. He enters into our suffering. He walks through what it feels like to be abandoned. He walks through what it feels like to be alone. He walks through disappointment. He walks through so many painful events. The night before he's getting ready to, to, to go to a cross and give up his life is one of the most trauma-inducing moments of his life as a human being. And he walks through that for you and for me. So your pain, your trauma, your losses, he gets it. It's not like we are serving a God who doesn't understand us. Like he went through it just like we go through it. And he doesn't pretend like this stuff doesn't exist. He doesn't ask us to stuff it. He doesn't ask us to hide it. He doesn't ask us to pretend like it doesn't exist. He actually, he steps into it. And I think what he asked for you and me as brothers and sisters in Christ is that we might step into it too for the people around us. Not to hide, not to isolate, not to push people away who are in the thick of, a, of, a, of trauma. So, so something like a mental health issue, guys, it's not a failure. If you're walking through, like if, you, like if you're in it right now, this is not failure. It's not something that you need to hide from. It's not something to be loaded down with shame and guilt. It's actually something, if you wanna look at it this way, it could be a gift from God to draw you in to utter dependence on him or somebody who might be on the outside of it as a caregiver who might be walking alongside a brother or sister who's struggling. It's an invitation for us to have compassion, for us to grow in our ability to have empathy, for us to grow in our ability to walk into the muck with brothers and sisters. And so how do we as a church walk into something like this? What do we do? How do we move forward? We be the body of Christ. As we were called to be, as first Corinthians, like we were called to be the body of Christ. This is what we get to do. We have an important role to play. We are the body that's made up of all kinds of members. And we need to be a place that is safe for anybody come. Like, we like to use terminology of, of like the church being a hospital and not a country club. This is not just a place where, where people come who, are, who have it all together. This is a place that people come who are hemorrhaging, who are about to bleed out. And so we want, to be, we want to be a safe place like that for folks. We want to be a place that says, you're welcome here. You're wanted here. You're necessary to the body of Christ. You're not a project for us that needs to be fixed. You are precious and you're loved. And you know what? We need you. The church needs you. We should actually be leading the charge in this. We should be the ones who are creating a safe place for people to run to. But right now, as a church, we're trying to catch up to where the world is already at and having these conversations. We should be leading in this. We should be the place that people are running for hope to overcome this negative stigma of shame that comes along with having a mental health illness or, or condition. We are the body of Christ. Right now, in this time of history, we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And so we get to physically walk along with people, but we also get to spiritually walk alongside of our brothers and sisters. But one of the hardest things for us to do is to walk through messy things. It's so hard for us for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, one, maybe because we don't understand what people are walking through. Sometimes I think it's just because we don't have margin in our lives. 
for anybody else. We're like, we're carrying our own stuff and we, we feel like we're, we're our own kind of jacked up. And, and so to enter into somebody else's is very dec- difficult for us. We just don't have the time or the margin for that. And I think sometimes the negative stigma keeps us away. We, we like things to look perfect, even though we know that it's not perfect in our life and everybody else knows that it's not perfect in our life. And sometimes if we're just being honest, it's, it's just not easy. It, it's not easy to walk through this as an individual, but it's not easy to walk through it with others as well. But what if God didn't call our lives to be neat and tidy? We could stop right there. What if God didn't call your life to be neat and tidy and everything in its spot, but called us to enter into the mess with one another? What if we were called to just simply not give up on people, to go into it with them? It's a very lonely place to have everybody walk away from you. Some of you are sitting in here right now and everybody's walked out. You're sitting in here and you're alone. You might be sitting next to somebody, but everything inside of you tells you that you're alone. You might be in here and you have your life all together. You're sitting next to somebody who feels alone and they need somebody to enter into it with them. What, what if we were called to walk another step with that brother or sister? What, what if we didn't have to have all the answers in order to just sit with people? What if we sat all of that aside and said, you know what, I'm just gonna show up and I'm, and I'm gonna be there. What if you and I, we just simply had a ministry of, of saying, you know what, I see you, I see you. I can't tell you how many moms, how many dads, how many kids that are struggling just wanna hear somebody say, I see you, I see your struggle and I'm not gonna let you walk through it alone. I see the pain. Instead of running away from you, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm actually, I'm gonna run to you because I know you could benefit. And what happens is I benefit from it as well. Guys, the way that we love each other and the way that we care for one another should be exponentially different than the way the world is taking care of us in this particular need. The way that we love should be different. The way that we care should be different. The way that we minister to one another should be different for us. We need people, we need community. We need people to say, I see you. We need people to walk the journey with us so that we don't walk alone. So I just ask you, what, what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you as an individual? What does it look like for us as a church to start walking this road um, that is difficult, that's messy, and there's no clear answers to these things, but just to simply wade into the mess with people? I'm praying about it as a pastor. We're praying about it as a church. I'm gonna invite you to be praying about that as well. Would you pray with me now? Well, Father, this is uh, certainly not a feel-good message. Um, This is not to pat us on the back for doing well. It's actually the opposite. It's encouraging us and challenging us to something that is very difficult. We live in the culture that says we can do it by ourselves, but you tell us we do it together. We go further together than we do alone. We live in a culture that isolates, and we don't want to isolate. We want to we want to gather. We want to not be left out. We want to pray for people. We want to invite prayer into our lives because it's so incredibly important. But we also want to understand that when we're bleeding out, we might need a doctor. And so, Father, would you help us to navigate as individuals 
how that we can have compassion and be a person of hope for those who are lost, to be a, a person of, that leads others to hope and healing in Jesus. And as a church, how we can do that too. We don't know how we're gonna get there, but Holy Spirit, we're trusting that you're gonna lead us the way. So we trust you in Jesus' name.